aren't aware of uh, much about our ministry outside of our television program that we have, but boy, we've got Bible schools. I think we have now 12 Bible schools, and we've got another one coming online just uh, very uh, shortly, and we've got Bible college graduates now that are all over the world and ministering, and things are happening, and that's just what God's doing through this ministry. Of course, there's lots of ministries out there, but we're seeing revival all over the world. It is exciting what God is doing. And um, I'm glad to be a part of it. And when you give in these offerings, you're helping us to reach out and do that. Let's turn over to the 11th chapter of the book of Luke. How many of you were not here last night when I started this teaching on prayer? Could I see your hand? Praise God. Welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. I'm not going to go back and, and reteach everything, but I started talking about prayer and I focused on Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13 or 14. And we were talking, the very first thing I did, I did what Jesus did. He started countering the religious misconceptions about prayer. And he started off by saying, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray. And I just started kind of tearing down so many religious traditions last night. And we talked about people whose motive is wrong. They're, they're praying for shows so that people could recognize them or they're praying to soothe their own conscience and to make them feel like now... I've done this, God owes me this. All of those motives void your prayers. If you pray with vain repetitions, which is so prevalent in the body of Christ today where people go through and they have printed prayers or they go through a rosary and say the same thing over and over and over or they go through chants and they, they say this or even the Lord's Prayer where you say, Our Father which art in heaven, and they just recite that and think that somehow or another that's pleasing to God. That's never what God intended. That was more of a model prayer. It gave you points that you were supposed to make, how you're supposed to enter His gates with praise. Those things are just religious. It's religious. If you're going through these rituals, if you change your voice when you pray, if you have to scream and yell, if you have to say glory to God, uh, if you have to do something religious, there's... People, and you know what? Some of you are going to think that I'm trying to just come against you. I'm not against anybody, but I'm, you know what? You need to examine yourself. And there's so many people that when I pray for them, they have to jerk. They have to feel the anointing or they have to fall down on the floor. You know what? I'm not, I don't tell people everything that happens to me, but I have felt the power of God so much that I have jerked before. I'm not against you getting hit by the power of God. I've fallen out under the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's not every time. And there's some people that think you can't receive from God and they do that. I've actually had people come up here before and before they fall down, they look to see if there's a catcher. <laughs> if it's really God, you don't need a catcher. But we've developed Pentecostal, spirit-filled, religious traditions where if you don't fall down, you didn't get anything from God. Where if you don't jerk, where if you don't have some ecstatic thing, where if you don't speak in tongues, you know, it's just religious. Thank you for that one, that's right. <laughs> Pentecostals, charismatics have their own religious traditions. 
You just need to be genuine is what the Lord was trying to say. First of all, before he can teach you what prayer is, he has to teach you what prayer is not. And that's what the Lord did and that's what I devoted all of last night to was countering all of the religious traditions. You know, before I get into this verse, let me read this to you out of Matthew chapter 23. You might ought to turn over there and read this. You wouldn't believe this is in your Bible. See if I can find this verse. I know it's right here. Matthew chapter 23. I know this is right here. I'm, I'm very close. It's the one that says that you will receive the greater damnation because you prayed for pretense. What is that? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore, you shall receive the greater damnation. There's a lot of people that think if I'm praying, that's all that counts. It doesn't matter how I pray. I'm just praying and it doesn't matter. It does matter how you pray. You need to pray correctly. And if you pray incorrectly, if you pray for pretense, which means appearance, so that you can pretend that you're holier than what you are, if it's just a religious form, you receive greater damnation. Prayer could actually make things worse for you. That's a sobering thought. Prayer is powerful, but it's like a weapon. If you give a kid a rifle, did you know that you need to teach that kid how to use that rifle? If they don't use it properly, you can kill yourself or kill somebody else with it. Anything that's powerful is also potentially damaging. Prayer is a powerful, powerful thing when done correctly, but done incorrectly, done for the wrong motives, it actually makes you more accountable. It actually can open up Satan into your life. You know, Jamie and I had a very good friend that I'm responsible. I brought back this teaching about how Satan is God's messenger boy, which is untrue. But this is back when I was in the Baptist church and this is what I was taught and this person was preaching that Satan can't do anything but what God allows. And so therefore, if you're having a problem from the devil, it's actually God that's allowed it. That's wrong. That's dead wrong. And anyway, I brought this teaching back and on there, there was a testimony about a boy who was so timid that he couldn't witness. And so what he did was pray and say, God, I want to be a witness. And if you have to kill me, if you have to give me an incurable disease so that I could witness and show how that I'm not afraid to die and how I still love you, and if that's the only way that you can use me, use me. And he got leukemia and died, and four people at his funeral got born again. I brought that back. We shared that with this girl, and she prayed that same prayer. And when the next morning woke up with leukemia, and died of leukemia. And at her funeral, four people got born again. God didn't answer that prayer. Satan took advantage of that prayer. There's times that people pray and say, oh God, just break this person if you have to kill them and do whatever. Satan will take advantage of that kind of a prayer. You need to pray correctly. Prayer is a powerful thing, but done incorrectly, it can cause problems. 
And so I'm encountering some wrong attitudes about prayer. Over here in Luke, the 11th chapter, is the exact same teaching that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 6 that we dealt with last night. And in the first few verses, it talks about him giving this Lord's, what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. And in verse 5, after he gave that, he said unto them in verse 5, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, for the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I verily... I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. You know, there's a lot of people. This is the traditional way that these passages have been interpreted, that God is not quick to answer our prayers for whatever reason. Just like this man who was in bed. He was asleep. He didn't want to be bothered. Leave me alone. I'm in bed. My wife and kids are with me in the bed. Leave me alone. Go away. And people have taught that this is the way that God is. God is not quick to answer your prayers. And so what you've got to do is you just have to petition him. You can't let go. You have to badger God until he wears down and gives in. Most of you are looking at me, isn't that the way it is? That's the way that it's been taught. This is, and they say because of his importunity, he'll rise and give him as many as he wants. And this has been taught to say that you just got to stay after God and stay after him. And you got to go in and you basically have to have this attitude that God, I'm not leaving until you do something. I'm not letting go until you give me what I came after. And that attitude is promoted in prayer. That is the exact opposite of what these verses are teaching. Exact opposite. The Lord isn't using this to teach you that this is how He is. What He's doing is using a physical example that people could relate to to show you how ridiculous that kind of an attitude is. Here's what He's doing. He says, how many of you have a friend that if you went to Him at midnight and if you had a need, how many of your friends would say, leave me alone, I'm in bed, don't bother me, who cares about you? I only care about myself, leave me alone. How many of you have friends like that? Let me tell you, those aren't friends. We had about five or six hands raised. You know what, you're deceived. That, you do not have a friend like that. That's not a friend. No true friend would treat you that way. You know, I could go to any of these people here that I consider my friends and I could ask them, if I had a need in the middle of the night, I could ask them and I guarantee you, I wouldn't call Charlie and Jill. Matter of fact, they called me in the middle of the night when their son died. And you know what? I didn't say, hey, I'm asleep. How dare you bother me? Leave me alone. Man, Jamie and I got up out of bed and we stayed up for hours praying and believing God for a miracle. I don't have a single friend here that if I was to call them with a need would sit there and tell me, leave me alone, it's the middle of the night, quit bothering me. We don't, we, our friends treat us better than this. Why would we think that God has to be badgered into submission? 
And when you have that kind of an attitude about God and you see God as this unattached, distant person who doesn't care about you and you've just got to badger him and badger him and badger him, that's one of the reasons that you aren't getting your prayers answered is because you go in already with unbelief. You already are going in with a bad attitude about God. And it keeps you from receiving. So he's not using this as a comparison, but rather a contrast. He says, people don't treat you this bad. Why do you think God would treat you this way? Why do you think Jesus, who came to this earth and died for you and bore all of this, why do you think that you have to badger him and plead over and over and over and beg and pressure God? And if he won't listen to you, then call the prayer chain and get 50 people to pressure God. And if he won't do that, well, then fast and pray so that you're going to play on his mercies. And right before you die, he, he has to, oh, all right, I'll give it to you. Look at the next verse. In verse 9, he says, and I say unto you. In other words, in contrast to the way that this man would operate, and he wouldn't even give his friend something because he was in bed and he was just a totally selfish person. But here's what I say unto you. Ask, and it shall be given you, even if it's at midnight. Seek, and you shall find, and it shall be given unto you, even if I'm in bed and asleep. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. This isn't teaching us that God is this unconcerned, disconnected God who's busy running the universe and you've got to badger him and pressure him and do something to get God's attention. It's teaching just the opposite, that God is closer to you than any friend. You know, I had a woman come up this morning and she was asking for prayer and she says, I pray for other people and I see them heal. I see every person I pray for heal, but when it comes to myself, I don't get healed. And I said, I don't. I can't say this is a direct word from God, but I said I felt that same way and I've seen a lot of people like that and most of the time what that is, you know what? You have more compassion on other people than you have on yourself because you know you and you're tougher on yourself than you're tougher on anybody else. But here's this woman talking about how she see, she can pray and see other people set free, but sometimes we're harder on ourselves. And it's harder to understand that God loves us. We see other people with all of their mistakes and we still love them. But we think God doesn't love us because he knows every rotten thing about us. That's wrong. Wrong mentality. And yet that's the way that most of us have been taught. The reason God hadn't answered your prayers is because you haven't fasted enough. You haven't prayed. You haven't said this long enough. You aren't holy enough. I've had people come up in my prayer lines by the thousands and they'll say something like, why hasn't God healed me? I fast, I pray, I study the word, I pay my tithes, I go to church, I do this, 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 and this. Why hasn't God healed me? You just told me. Because you didn't point to what Jesus did for you and how much he loves you. You pointed to what you've done for him and you were showing me that you think you have to earn the blessing of God and you know that you aren't perfect yet and so your own conscience condemns you and keeps you from really believing. And this kind of teaching where you have to go in and just plead with God and grab hold of God and shake him until he gives you what you want is a teaching against the goodness and the mercy of God. And it's putting you in the position where if it wasn't for you, if it wasn't for the great intercessors, God would let the world go to hell. God doesn't love people. It's you that love them and you're trying to get God to move. Amen or oh me. Again, everything I'm preaching against, I've done. 
I remember when I first got started, I was praying for Arlington, Texas. That's where I grew up. And man, I was knocking on a hundred doors a day. We were praying and I started all night prayer meetings and I was praying one time with these people and I was screaming and yelling and hitting the wall and pleading with God and calling on revival. And I had this come out of my mouth. I said, God, if you love the people of Arlington, Texas, half as much as I love them, we'd have revival. And as soon as I said that, my lightning fast mind figured out, whoops, something's wrong with this theology. But you know what? That's the way that most intercessors are. God's not going to touch America. God's not going to move because he's put out with us. And so we got to beg him and he won't respond to just one person. So let's get a hundred thousand people or a million people and let's have around the clock prayer and not give up until we make God send revival. God wants revival more than you want revival. As a matter of fact, if you even want revival, that's a product of revival. Nobody in their own self wants to see the power of God. If we are just left to ourselves, we would be carnal bitter, angry, indulging self. We would forget the world. It is not human nature to care about other people and want good. If you are praying and asking for a revival, you have been revived. God has already touched you and it's the influence of the Holy Spirit that's making you do that. And for us to think that God is just disconnected and doesn't concern, isn't concerned and we've got to plead with Him and put pressure on Him is totally, totally, totally wrong. It is against everything that he's teaching. God is not like this unjust man, like this unjust friend who just forgot his friend. He says, if you ask, you will receive. You seek, you will find. Everyone that asks receives. And then he uses another comparison down here in verse 10 or verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? The obvious answer is no. And see what he's doing again is to use an example. Would you treat your son, if he came up and asked for a piece of bread, would you hand him a stone that looked like a piece of bread so that he could bite into it and ruin his teeth, break his jaw? How many of you would treat your kid that way? We don't know people that are that bad. Why do we think that God would treat us that way? Why do we think that God is an adversary? It's because religion has taught us this. Religion has taught us this and you know, some of it is through mistakes. I'm going to be teaching on this in more detail. But the Old Testament, God was an adversary to man and there was punishment and you did have to plead with God. But under the New Covenant, it's totally different. God has now reconciled man unto himself. And if you pray in the New Testament the way people prayed in the Old Testament, you're wrong. We sing these songs that is from Psalms chapter 51 where David repented of his sin with Bathsheba and he says, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. We sing a song about that. Many of you have probably sung that. Many of you have prayed that prayer. That is absolutely wrong for you to pray that way. Somebody says, but that's scripture. It's in the Bible. It's prior to Jesus. Prior to Jesus, man wasn't united with God. They didn't have a promise that God would never leave them nor forsake them. The Holy Spirit did come and go, but in the new covenant, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Lo, he's with us always. And if you pray the same way that David prayed, pleading for forgiveness when the New Testament says God is already forgiven, if you plead for the Holy Spirit not to depart from you when the Bible promises that God will never leave you, if you do in the New Testament what they did in the Old Testament where they say, 
said, oh God, come and be with us. If you start your prayers, if you start your church service by saying, God, we ask you to come and be with us today, you aren't praying right. God said he's always with you. He'll never leave you. And yet we start our prayer, our meetings by, oh God, we ask you to come and be with us. And then when you dismiss, God, go with us as we leave this place. God promised he'd never leave you nor forsake you. How's God going to answer a stupid prayer like that? Is he going to leave and then come back so that he can answer your prayers? Is he going to break his word? Those are stupid prayers. We say things like your prayer didn't get above the ceiling. The demons are blocking the heavens and our prayers can't get through. So what we got to do is intercede and clear the heavens over Chicago. In the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 10, that happened. The prince of Persia withstood Daniel's prayer for 21 days and the heavens were closed. This is what Jill was talking about and uh, making sure she said it right so that I wouldn't jump on her case. But there's people that teach we have a closed heaven. Our prayers can't get through to God. I bet you many of you in here have prayed that or at least have heard it and didn't reject it. That's wrong. You know what's wrong with that? God moved from heaven. They'll, they'll pray Isaiah chapter 64, rend the heavens and come down. That was in the scriptures. But God rent the heavens and came down through Jesus. And it's wrong for you to pray, rend the heavens. That's in a sense just slapping Jesus in the face and say, Jesus wasn't enough. Now send something else, do something else. No, Jesus moved to earth. And when you get born again, he lives on the inside of you. And you don't need your prayer to get through the heavens up to God. You don't need your prayers to get above the roof. You don't need your prayers to get above your nose. That's the reason you bow your head when you pray so that you can look at God. Say, God, God's right here. This whole concept of, oh, God, go with us. Oh, God, help us get the open heaven so that you can answer our prayers is all wrong. And if you pray that way, somebody says, well, you're just straining at gnats. You know, you're, you're grabbing at straws. This isn't important. God knows what we're saying. Words are important. And they express attitudes and it reveals what's in your heart. And if you see God as this adversarial person that if you ask for bread, he's going to give you a piece of stone. And you have to just badger him and you have to stay after God and make God do what's right. And if it wasn't for all of us great prayer warriors, God would never do anything. You know what? That's, that's one of the reasons that you aren't seeing prayers answered is because you go in with a bad attitude towards God and he's, he just doesn't move that way. That's not how it works. It says, if any ask bread of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Hopefully not. Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? If your child asks for a piece of fish, would you give him a serpent that's going to bite him and hurt him? Hopefully not. Or if he ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? See, our relationships, our human relationships are better than this. Why do we think that our heavenly father is less compassionate than fallen men? In a sense, we have made God human. It's where God gets ticked off. The average person believes that the reason we aren't having revival is because we kick God out of our schools. We don't allow prayer. We did this and we did that and God is now upset and God has his arms folded in heaven and his back turned and saying, you're just stewing in your own juice. You chose this, reap what you've sown and God's an adversary. And so what we've got to do is repent 
and pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked ways and He'll hear from heaven and forgive our sins. 2 Chronicles 7.14. Again, that's an Old Testament scripture before Jesus reconciled us to God and that is not the way for the New Testament believer to relate to God. God is not up there with His arms folded saying, no, until you grovel in the dirt a little bit more, until you pray a little bit harder, until you get another 100,000 people praying and repenting, I'm not going to move. That's not the way it is. God's like this. He's got his arms open. He's trying to pour out his spirit. God is here this morning trying to reach you and tell you that you don't need to beg and plead. God has already given you everything in Christ. You have raising from the dead power on the inside of you. And instead of getting in your prayer closet and asking God to pour out his spirit, believe that he poured it out on the inside of you and go back to work and raise somebody from the dead and open up blinded eyes and start speaking the truth and you'll have all of the revival that you can handle. Quit begging God to do what he told you to do. He told you to go out and be a witness. He told you to go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. He didn't tell you to pray and ask him to do it. He told you to do it. He put his power on the inside of you. You speak to this. You resist the devil and he will flee from you. And instead we're saying, oh God, please get the devil off my back. I bet you I've told 15, 20 people this morning that you need to take your authority. Quit begging God. Quit pleading as if God is up there just ignoring you and you got to cry a little louder and yell a little harder. That's wrong. You need to get into faith. It's where you believe that God already loves you. God's already provided. Take your authority and speak and command those things. Quit approaching addiction and cancer as if you're powerless. This is exactly what the average person does. Oh, God, we have no power. The doctor says I'm going to die and you go in crying and you're pitiful and think that if you'll cry and be pitiful enough, maybe God will have pity on you. There's nothing you can do that will make God more disposed to move than what Jesus did for you. Jesus has already made God feel good about you. God loves you because of what Jesus did and you're being pitiful and telling him how desperate your situation is and getting two or three people to pray with you and put pressure on God isn't going to make God any more prone to move in your life. And if you would just start with that conviction, man, that would change things. If you would enter in, Father, thank you that you've already done this. Thank you that you love me, that before I ever had the need, you already had met the need. You already created the supply. Thank you that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead already lives on the inside of me. Thank you, Father, that I don't have to beg you, that you aren't like this friend. You aren't like a father who would give his son a piece of stone. You aren't like the person who would give their son a serpent or give him a scorpion if they ask for some. Father, you're a good God, only good and perfect gifts. You come down, you start praising God like that and just thanking him for how good he is. And by the time you get to your need, your faith is so strong that you just say, go in Jesus' name, and it's over. But very few people approach God that way. In verse 13, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? I don't know how many of you were here last night when we ministered the baptism of the Holy Spirit, about a hundred people up here. You know what? We made a big point out of this. You're just going to ask once. You don't have to beg. You don't have to plead. God wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit more than you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You were created to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. God wants you to live in victory. 
We think that, oh God, do you care? Yes, God cares about you more than you care about you. God wants you to be healed of cancer and to be well more than you want it. And some of you doubt that, but that's the absolute truth. He proved it when he sent Jesus here and he bore your sickness and carried your diseases. God wants you to be well. He wants you to prosper more than you want to prosper. You have to spend zero time begging and pleading with God and trying to get God to where he wants to move in your life. And yet that's what the vast majority of prayer is all about, is just bombarding God, coming as a beggar, pleading, trying to play upon his emotions and getting God to move. I had a woman come to me not long ago and she says, I've been praying for my husband for 20 years and nothing's happened. God hadn't saved him. But I know God hears your prayers. If you'll pray, I believe that God will save my husband. She says, would you pray for my husband? And I said, I will not. And she got offended. Like, why wouldn't you pray? And I said, I'm not going to pray and agree with you and your attitude. You're thinking that God, if he wanted to, could just save your husband. Lift his little finger and your husband would be saved. I said, first of all, that's wrong. God doesn't make people get saved. People have a choice. God's already provided everything. And I can guarantee you, God has convicted your husband a million times over. If your husband isn't saved, your husband's got a choice. And you can't make him get saved. You can't just claim him and make him get saved. That's wrong. And then secondly, you're thinking that God doesn't love you enough to answer your prayers, but he loves me more. And if I'll pray, he'll answer my prayers. And I said, you've just insulted God. You've come against God. You don't understand the love and the mercy of God. And I will not enter into agreement with you. I am not going to approach God that way. There's been five or six people this morning that I I didn't pray for because they, they wanted me to pray and they were begging. I said, you know what? You need to take your authority and recognize God's done it for you and stand up and believe God and quit begging and quit waiting. Maybe I beg better than you do. So he'll answer my prayers. I said, you're totally wrong in your approach towards God. The Bible says in Galatians chapter five, verse six, that faith works by love. If you have an adversarial picture of God, if you think that he's not going to answer your prayers because you haven't read your daily Bible reading, so he might let you die of cancer and suffer and just struggle because you haven't dotted every I and crossed every T. That's the reason that you aren't seeing the healing power of God because you don't understand how much he loves you. Why would you think if you came over to my house and when my kids were little, if you were at my house and my kids came in and they just fell on the ground and they fell on the floor and, oh, Father, I know that I'm not worthy and I know I haven't made my bed and I haven't done everything you've asked me to do, but I'm hungry. Could you please, pretty please, if it be your will, please give me something to eat so that I don't starve. I feel like I'm about to die. And if they just spent 30 minutes bombarding me and trying to justify why they should get something to eat, I guarantee you, you'd call the social services on me. You'd say, something's wrong in this family. Man, those kids just run in, and even though they track mud right through your carpet, they'll sit there and say, hey, I'm hungry. Fix me something to eat. You know why? Because they know that that parent loves them. We don't have as much faith that God loves us as our, heavenly, as our earthly parents. And that's the reason that we aren't seeing things work. We got a wrong attitude. I'm telling you, if you being evil, treat your children better than this, how much more would the Heavenly Father treat you well? 
I remember a man one time who was dying. He was in the hospital, and they said he wouldn't live through the night, and he, stayed on, he held on for six days. So finally, he rented an ambulance and drove from New Mexico all the way back to Colorado. When he got to Colorado, he had his wife call me, and he couldn't even hold the phone. He was so weak, he couldn't lift a hand. And so the wife held the phone up to his ear, and he told me he was dying, and he just wanted to let me know. And I said, don't you dare die till I get there. And I drove up to his place, and Don Crow, an associate of mine, we went up to his house every day for six months, maybe every other day. And we just started pumping the word into this guy. And he started improving. He got to where he was up and driving around and eating, driving a car and doing things. And anyway, partway through this thing, he was just saying, you know, I, but I'm ready to go to heaven. I don't want to live. I'm just not sure that God wants me to live. Maybe it's my time to die. And I looked over at his wife. And his wife was sitting there kneeling beside his bed and she was crying. And I said, do you think that your wife, do you think that there's anything you've done? I don't care how bad you've been. Do you think that there's anything you've done that would cause your wife to want to just see you die? And he said, oh, no way. He says, I hadn't been a perfect husband, but I know that she loves me. And if if it was humanly possible, she would get me well. And I said, and you think God Almighty loves you less than your wife. And you know what? It just stopped him. He realized that, man, if she loves me, even though I haven't been perfect, how much more does God love me? And it just changed his attitude around. That's what this is saying. This is what Jesus is teaching about prayer. Don't be like the person who goes and thinks that you've got to badger God and plead with God and justify yourself and somehow or another motivate God. God is more motivated and He loves you more than you love yourself. God wants you to succeed more than you want to succeed. This is not what religion is saying. Religion is saying, oh yeah, God has all of this power, but you haven't done this, and that's the reason God hadn't blessed you. And the number one thing that's stopping most people from receiving from God is a sense of unworthiness. You know, I've told you that I've seen my son raised from the dead. I've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open. Most of you believe that. If you're out here on a Friday morning, you're a fanatic, or you were drugged here by a fanatic. (laughs) This isn't your nod to God crowd. You believe in those things. And if somebody fell over dead here today, and if I said, man, I believe that God can raise them from the dead, man, most of you'd be right there with me yelling and shouting. You'd say, I believe it too. But if I said, all right, if you believe it, you come up here and pray for them. You know what? Many of you who are excited about me praying for them and you believe that God can do it, all of a sudden your faith would turn to fear. Your excitement would turn to dread. Everything would totally flip-flop when I say you do it. Now analyze. What is it that just changed? You haven't changed what you believe about God. But all of a sudden, when it comes to you praying, you don't have faith anymore. Why? Because you know you better than you know me. If you knew me as well as you know you, you wouldn't have any more faith in my prayers than you got in your prayers. But see, you think that a minister, I've got it all together and I must pray and fast and do all this, but you know that you're rotten. 
You know that you think bad things. You know that you watch bad stuff. You know that you aren't doing everything that you should. And your own heart condemns you. What happened was you didn't doubt God's ability. You doubt God's willingness to use his ability because in your way of thinking, you've got it that God only flows through people that deserve it. You have to earn it. You have to be worthy. That's what religion is teaching, that you have to earn the blessings of God. And I'm telling you, that is not true. God loves you independent of your performance. God's never had anybody qualified yet to answer their prayers. Every person who's ever got a prayer answered, it was because they put faith in Jesus and what he did and not faith in themselves. And so we see God as this person who has all of this power, but he might not use it because you aren't worthy of it. You don't understand how much God loves you. Look over in the 18th chapter of the book of Luke. Here's a similar type of passage. In verse 1, he says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So here he is teaching on prayer again, and he's telling you not to give up. Stand in faith. And then he says in verse 2, There was in a city, there was in a, city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And you know, he's going to teach something about prayer, but look at the way he's introducing it. This was an unjust judge. It was an ungodly judge. He didn't fear man or God. This isn't a comparison. God isn't saying he's like this man. He's drawing a contrast. You would expect better treatment from an ungodly judge than what, we, than what many of us think that God has given us. So he's drawing a contrast again. Verse 2, there was a certain judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And so people use this to say that, see, you just got to wear God down. You just got to wear him down. You just stay after him five years, 10 years, 20 years until finally God says, all right, if I'm ever going to get any peace, I got to grant their prayer. People wouldn't say it that way, but that's exactly what's taught from this passage of scripture. And in verse six, the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he, I don't believe this is the he is talking about God. It's not saying that God's going to bear along with you. But though he, this unjust judge, didn't answer your prayers quickly, he didn't give you justice quickly, God will avenge you. Though he, this unjust judge, didn't, didn't avenge them speedily. In verse 8, I tell you that he, God, will avenge them speedily. This isn't saying that God just holds out until you cry and pray a little bit more. This is teaching just the opposite. God is a just God. God will give you what he has provided if you'll just believe. But we've got to come in and believe. If you go in expecting this type of treatment from God, then you know what? Here's a statement that's going to shock some of you. But God will be to you what you believe him to be. God is who he is, regardless of what you think. But as far as your experience goes, you will only experience God to the degree that you believe. If you believe that God is the one who makes your life miserable and has put sickness and disease on you to make you sick, God's not going to do that because that's not his nature. 
But you know what? You will experience sickness and disease. Satan will take, care, will take advantage of that ignorance and you won't have the ability to resist and overcome and you'll get sick and you might learn something out of it and God will meet you where your faith is and you can learn a great lesson by laying flat of your back for two years. But you know what? That's not what God intended. But that's what you believe and God will meet you where your faith is and He'll teach you as much as He possibly can through that negative experience. If you don't believe that God does miracles today, did you know God still is a miracle working God? But you won't experience any because that's what you believe. What you believe affects how you receive. And if you believe that God is this adversary that has to be convinced and won over and you've got to do everything perfect and you've got to plead and you've got to come and beg, and if that's the way you see God, it's going to affect the results that you get. And this is where the vast majority of people are. They aren't receiving the goodness of God because they don't really believe God's good. They believe they have to plead with God to do what's right and to do what's good. They believe that their husband or their wife would treat them better than God, but they don't believe that God would treat them. Their wife or husband would be merciful to them, but not God. God's mean. God's hard. That's what most people believe. And they get some of this from the Old Testament when God was harsh on sin. But I'm telling you, there is a huge difference between the way God dealt with people in the Old Covenant and the way He dealt with them in the New Testament. And most people haven't reconciled this. And so they've got an Old Testament adversarial relationship with God that they enter in ducking and waiting on God to slap them, afraid that God's going to rebuke them. And that's not faith, that's fear. And it hinders you from receiving from God. Man, that's some strong stuff that I've said. And some of you, this will be the first time you've thought this way. But I'm telling you that this is, these are some of the things that you've got to unlearn before you can begin to pray correctly. You've got to recognize that God is a good God. God wants you to prosper more than you want to prosper. God wants that person healed more than you want them healed. God wants to bless you and cause that marriage to work. God is for marriage. He hates divorce. You don't have to plead with God and get God working for you. The reason that you're probably having a divorce is because you've done it your way instead of God's way. God had a perfect plan. The reason many of us are sick is because we've been out either physically abusing our bodies or spiritually giving place to Satan through the way that we live and talk and we caused all of these problems. We're the ones that set all of this junk in motion. And then we go to God. God, why did you do this? God didn't do this. God told us to not eat of the tree. He told us what would happen when we ate of the tree. He told us not to do it. We did this. We brought all of this stuff on ourselves, and then we go to God. God, why did you let this happen? God didn't let it happen. You let it happen. We let it happen. Some things don't happen directly because of your choices. It's just because we live in a fallen world. There's viruses, sickness, disease. There's things going around. But God didn't create that. We did. We caused all of that perversion. We're the ones. The Bible says in James chapter 3 that the tongue is a little member, but it boasts great things. And it sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Our words have corrupted things and caused sickness and disease and tragedies and all of these kind of things. Brothers and sisters, God's not the one that's doing that. I'm telling you, God's on your side. And we need to have a totally 
different approach towards God, that He's a heavenly Father, that He's a good God, that He loves us. We need to enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise and begin to start giving Him the glory that's due unto His name and thanking Him that He's redeemed us from these things and quit blaming Him for our problems and treating Him as if He doesn't care. You know, if you were to approach me, and of course, praise God, I'm not God. God's more long-suffering than I am. I mean, the spirit of slap wants to come on me every once in a while. I just, I just would like to drop kick some people right off the earth. But if you were to, if I was God, and if you were to approach me and say, I know you don't love me, and I know you don't care about me, and I know you don't want to do, give it, and I don't deserve it, and if you just expressed all of this bad junk and says, would you please heal me? I'd want to say, no, you don't appreciate me. You don't appreciate what I've done. Why would I want to heal you? Why would I want to bless you when you sit there and hate me and think I'm a mean person? Now, God's bigger than that. But you know what? I I wouldn't doubt that he has some of the same feelings every once in a while about, man, what does it take to convince these people that I love them? I've died for them. I've treated them in mercy. Man, there's so many examples in the word where he took a woman in the very act of adultery and everybody else wanted to kill her and the law commanded that you kill her and he he protected her and he showed mercy. The Lord turned around to the thief on the cross. He was a crook. He was a thief. He was a liar. He was a thief and the Lord forgave him and took him to paradise. God showed us mercy, 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 mercy and yet religion has taught us that God's an angry God And he's holding our sins against us. And most of us have this wrong impression of God. And you know what? If God wasn't a good God and a merciful God, he'd just turn us all into ashes for the way that we don't appreciate him, don't appreciate what he's done. But I'm telling you, we've got to change some things. So these first two sessions have been trying to undo some wrong teaching about prayer and about approaching God. Tonight, I'm going to start talking about what prayer is and how to do it correctly. But, but you've got you to pull the rug out from under people sometimes, tear up the foundation before you can put a new one in. You can't build on wrong thinking. And if we've got wrong attitudes about God and how to approach Him, those things have to change before you're going to see real success. Praise God. We, we need a revelation of God's love for us. It's my personal testimony. I was born again when I was eight, but when I was 18, I got a revelation of God's love for me. And I didn't understand any of what I've been teaching you. I was praying wrong. I was doing, but you know what? Instantly, I started seeing results just because I knew God loved me. And I was just modeling things. I was still saying and doing a lot of things wrong because that's the way that I'd been taught and I didn't know that it was wrong yet. And so I, until you're reprogrammed, you just keep doing what you're doing. But you know what? Even though I was doing a lot of things wrong and saying things wrong, I still saw miracles happen. We saw blind eyes open. We started seeing things happen. And it was just because I knew that God loved me. And eventually I was able to break through a lot of these things and get my mind renewed and get rid of some of those attitudes. I'm telling you if, you, just, if you ever really understood how much God loved every one of us, it would transform your prayer life. You would quit approaching God with the doubt and the unbelief and the criticism and the fear of rejection and punishment. And you'd run boldly unto God that you might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. 
You'd be like a little kid that would just run and jump in his lap, which some people think, oh, that's disrespectful. But you know what? A kid's doing that because of love, because of a revelation of love. They'll go in and say, give me something to eat, not because they're manipulative, because they just trust you so much. They know that you want to meet their needs. So they don't go in and spend five minutes begging and pleading and repenting of not making their bed before they ask you for something. I'm telling you, our religious traditions, the way that you approach God says a lot about your revelation of God. And we've been conditioned to go in and just confess how sorry we are and mention all of our bad things. When the Bible clearly says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Come boldly before the throne of grace. There's very few people that come boldly. They come in begging and bowing and scraping, afraid that if they don't mention every sin, God will. And so you just come in. You know, I had a dog that I got from my mother when I got drafted and sent to Vietnam. And this dog was three-fourths German shepherd and one-fourth chow. And it was a real unusual color. It looked like honey. And so I named this dog Honey because of the coat that it had. And it was this big German shepherd and chow mix. And it was intimidating looking. And the mailman would walk by and that dog would bark and run and hit the fence. And it had the fence bowed out where the weight of this dog would hit the fence. And it would scare people. But before I got that dog, it had been beat with a trace chain. And that dog looked intimidating. But if if that mailman would have opened up the gate, that dog would have hurt itself trying to run away because it was so chicken. And every time I'd go out, that dog would come running across the yard, this big old dog, and then it'd get about five or six feet away and it'd roll over on its side and whimper and cry and scoot up to me, afraid that I was going to hit it. And you know what? Uh, That just really bothered me because people all of the time ask me, why does this dog act this way? Have you beaten this dog? I didn't beat it. Somebody else beat it. And anyway, I remember one day, the Lord was showing me some of these exact same things I'm saying to you and he was telling me how I didn't have boldness and how I was sin conscious instead of conscious of how much I'd been forgiven. And I was thinking on all of these things and I walked out in my backyard and sat on the porch and here comes honey running across the yard and gets about five or six feet away and rolls over on its side and goes to whimpering and whining and scooting up to me. And I just lost my temper with this dog. And I said, you know, it's hard to get mad at your dog when his name is Honey. And I said, honey, one time I'd like, to, I'd like you to come running and jump on me like a normal dog, like you aren't afraid I'm going to beat you. Just one time I'd like you to act like I really like you. Instead, I've never treated you badly. I've never given you a reason to feel this way. And I was just reading the riot act of this dog. And the Lord spoke to me and he says, Andrew, that's the way I feel about you. He says, one time I'd like you to act like I actually have forgiven you. And instead of you coming in and, oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm so unworthy. Oh God, please forgive me of all of this and bowing and scraping and crying. I'd like you to just come boldly in the throne of grace and say, Father, here I am. And act like I've forgiven you and like I love you and like I want to bless you instead of an adversary. Amen. And brothers and sisters, there's many of you that God feels the same way. One time he'd like you to come like you are a son or a daughter who's been forgiven 
and that he loves with all of his heart and he's not mad at you even though you don't deserve it. He's made you worthy through what Jesus did. And one time he'd like you to come in and start talking about how good he is instead of how bad you are. It'd change your life. I challenge you today when you go out of here, start praising God for how good he is and don't even mention, just refuse to mention how sorry you are. If you feel like a gnat on the back of an elephant, talk about how big the elephant is instead of how insignificant you are. Glorify God for how huge he is and how awesome he is to love somebody as sorry as you are. Talk about his goodness and don't talk about yourself. There's many of you that won't be able to do it. It's become so ingrained in you, you will not be able to praise God for his goodness without inserting something about your relative unworthiness. You know what? You need to change that. And if you'll do that, it'll make a big difference in the way you receive from God. Amen? Is there anybody here today who's not born again but you'd like to be? Maybe just talking about the goodness of God. You've come to realize that God's a good God. You, you know that people would treat you better than you think God would treat you. Hopefully today you've got that readjusted and recognized God loves you more than any person ever has. Maybe you've thought God exists, but you just weren't convinced that He'd accept you. I'm telling you that God loves you more than you have ever thought. You need to start accepting that. If you haven't been born again, you need to be born again. And if you have been born again, but if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you need to receive that. We had like a hundred people last night come and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you know, I know that there's people here this morning who still need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you don't speak in tongues, and I know many of you think, well, I didn't know you spoke in tongues. I do. Hey man, I'm a tongue talker. I've talked in tongues today. I talk in tongues nearly every day of my life. I'm telling you, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Lord said you receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Not until. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need this gift of speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, it's like charging hell with a water pistol. You need power. You need something bigger than yourself. I had not got time to teach on it, but how many of you in here have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues? See, you're already amongst a bunch of fanatics. We're gonna, your friends are going to talk about you for coming here. You might as well receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and give them something to talk about. Amen. Would you recommend the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues? Praise the Lord. So if you need to be born again or if you've already been born again but you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, if that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you and help you to receive today.